When I say the name Clint Malarchuk, what comes to mind? If you know the name, you're probably thinking, that's that guy that had his jugular cut by a skate in a hockey game. That goalie. And what's unfortunate about that is that there is so much more to the man than that. I had the good fortune to speak with Clint today for the latest episode of this podcast, episode 17. And uh, it was really nice. He's he's coming to Burlington in June to speak on behalf of the Canadian Mental Health Association Halton Region Branch. And uh, if you're able, you should come out. He's got a crazy story. His book, The Crazy Game, How I Survived in the Crease and Beyond, is probably the best book I've ever read. I read it while I was in the hospital, and I talk about that in the conversation with him, and how maybe that wasn't the smartest decision in the world, I'm not entirely sure, because I I was in the hospital dealing with severe depression and reading about a guy that shot himself in the head. Clint's book is about his life, but its major theme is mental illness. He has struggled with anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and alcoholism. And I might have even missed something. He's been through a lot. And he's lived to tell his story. He almost bled out on the ice with the world watching. And later in life, he stared his wife in the eyes, shot himself in the head, and lived to talk about it. It overcame it. It's a powerful story. I don't get too deep into it with Clint. It's kind of a it's a lighter conversation, but uh, you really need to pick up his book if you are looking to understand mental illness, or if you're looking to overcome mental illness. It's a story that should be in the hands of everyone, as far as I'm concerned. He's changing the game. He's he's a guy that's gonna. He's already done so much for the mental health community, and he will continue to do so much for the mental health community. Just listen to how he talks. He's so passionate, and he feels that this is what he was meant to do. And it was it's such it was such a nice conversation to have a little bit of Clint's time. And uh, why don't we just get to it? This is my conversation with Clint Malarchuk. Honor now to have uh, former NHL goaltender, author, equine dentist, mental health advocate, 
and public speaker Clint Malarchuk join me. How you doing, Clint? Well, that's quite the intro. It makes me sound old at doing all those things. I'm doing great. Yeah, that's one <laughs> hell of a resume. Did I get that accurate? <laughs> you got everything except at horse chiropractor as well. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I missed that part. Um, <laughs> you said that you were uh, working with the with the horses this morning. What what kind of stuff were you doing this morning? This, uh, this morning was uh, all chiropractic. Uh, I would say I do probably 80% of my work is uh, dental with horses, and the other part would be, you know, the other 20 is probably chiropractic. And I try and do, uh, when I'm doing dental, I try and stick to that all that day. And if I'm doing chiros, I try and line all the chiros up for that day. So I'm not jumping back and forth. Is that a full-time job for you? Um, you know, I would say it's uh, it's a full-time job when I'm home, but when I'm not uh, on the road speaking, uh, you know, I'm obviously not doing it. But, yeah, it's uh, it keeps me busy. But it, it is kind of a seasonal job, too. You know, we get winter here where I live here in northern Nevada. And, uh, it gets a little slow in the winter, which is fine because the, uh, the speaking circuit seems to be busier in the winter. So, yeah, uh, but, but uh, it works out good, though. I can do both. That's great. And uh, I guess why you're on the podcast now is what we'll get to next. You talked about uh, some speaking engagements, and you'll be in Burlington in June to uh, to kind of share your story. Um, in the uh, Recently, uh, there's, an, there's an article on the CMHA uh, website in Halton, and uh, there's a quote from you. You work on your recovery every day. What does that look like for you? Oh, that was, uh, that's, that's, uh, I think anybody that's in recovery can understand, uh, you know, your recovery comes first, uh, because it's easy to, to fall back, whether it's, uh, addiction or mental illness. So for me, I have to keep, uh, uh, you know, a healthy balance, which I would say I start my day, you know, being positive, trying to, uh, uh, you know, I guess meditate a little bit. Um, you know, get my thoughts in order all in a positive way, good kind of med- meditative way, and then uh, I get at her, and uh, I always try and get a, at least a workout of some sort, uh, get those endorphins going, uh, you know, so working out uh, is part of my uh, recovery, and it seems like I spend a lot of time uh, on, on emails, uh, podcasts like this, uh, you know, um, a lot of, uh, I, I can't call it, call it counseling, but uh, being, being supportive. I talk to quite a few people, whether it's email, Facebook, or on the phone. And that's usually later in the day when I'm, I'm done with my horse uh, business. I was going to ask you about day-to-day life these days, but uh, I guess you kind of already explained that. Is there anything else you kind of do day-to-day, keep you keep your mind in check? Well, well, I, you know, like I, I do have that checklist, like I said, it's like, uh, uh, you know, meditation. I, I do take medication as well, so i got to keep on top of that, making sure that, you know, um, I'm checking in with my doctor regularly, not a daily uh, process, of course, but, uh, you know, I made that mistake one time of going a long time without really checking in. I just went to my uh, team doctor and kept getting renewals, and uh, the drug kind of, my body kind of got immune to the medication so uh but uh, i would say the the main things is meditation working out uh i would say 
for lack of better uh, word, I'd say counseling, uh, but it's not. I, I, I just try to be supportive with people that I talk to or email. Um, and, and the other thing is, is just being of service. Um, you know, trying to be in a service, yes, is partly talking to people, but it's also just, uh, uh, you know, being supportive, going to support type group meetings and try to be a leader that way. That's great. So well, you, you've, you talked about uh, meditation there. What does uh, meditation look like for you? Meditation kind of scares people, that, you know, like how do you do it and what do you do? And they, they, they think of the, uh, you know, East India, Google, uh, you know, cities, cross-laying and all that. And it's really not that. I read this called The Untethered Soul. Which, uh, uh, to me, I got a lot of that book. Uh, it it kind of like... It, if I'm living with uh, worry and anxiety, I'm probably in living it or thinking in the future. And if I'm living with guilt or shame or, some, you know, I screwed up or, or things like that, I'm living in the past. So for me, uh, the meditation, I just try and stay in the moment. The, the word, word now everybody seems to uh, use is mindfulness. And I, I relate to that, but uh, my meditation is, is just kind of, yeah, you know, when you get into recovery, you gotta, you can't do it alone. I think you need a higher power. Uh, so I try to get connected uh, with my higher power. I've, I, I've heard that, you know, if you're having a bad day, you've lost your connection with your higher power. So uh, for me, that just means taking the time out, get reconnected, knowing that I'm not, I'm not really the one in control of everything. The world's spinning around, and uh, things are happening, and do the best you can, but try and stay in the moment. Uh, the meditation I do is, is just trying to clear my mind and stay, practice, practice that staying in the moment. And, uh, and then I can, I can go, you know, one thing I, I found out with meditation, one form of meditation would be visualization as well. And so for me, being a, an ex-athlete, I had to visualize before games, you know, kind of, see myself making saves, playing, you know, playing the game. And so I thought, well, it's not that much different. I've actually meditated my whole life just more in a, different, a little bit of a different way. Hmm, interesting. Um, before we move on to the uh, the book and kind of what your message is when you speak, I was just curious to know if you have any hockey involvement these days or any interest to be get back into hockey if you're not. Well, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a junior team up at Lake Tahoe, and they they were struggling, and uh, got, uh, they they fired their head coach and asked me if I would take over, and uh, I was already kind of on the speaking circuit and and doing the book thing, and so um, I, I I did take the job, and it was fun. Uh, I still volunteer up there, you know, go up to the rink for work with the kids when I'm asked uh, to come out and work with goalies or, or run a practice or something just as a special guest, but uh, nothing at the pro level anymore. Do I aspire to get back into it? No, I don't. Um, uh, I love the game. I follow it closely, uh, you know, especially, you know, now it's getting into playoff time and, uh, you know, so, but I, but I don't, uh, actively involve at the pro level, but, uh, and I probably never will again, unless it's on a very limited consulting level. And the reason, uh, that is I really, really love what I, what I'm doing. Um, uh, I think what I, what I do, especially the speaking, now that the book is already done and out there, that it's mostly the speaking that I do. And 
uh, getting that feedback from people that, hey, uh, I heard that message that you're up there saying, and I, I really like it, and I'm going to get help, or, um, you know, you, you brought something to my attention that maybe I uh, thought I was the only person struggling with. And, and that's the thing is most people that suffer with mental illness or addiction, uh, especially mental illness with the stigma, they think they're, they're, they're alone, and they're not. There's so many so many people that struggle, and that that's what my book actually taught me. I mean, I wrote the book to help people, but uh, the feedback and the emails and everything, I had no idea how many Clint Malarchuk's are out there. Uh, so many that pe- people that really do struggle, but they're doing it in silence. And so, um, you know, having put my story out there in a book and then now speaking uh, people are understanding that, you know, they're not alone and there is a, a, a way to get out of the, the darkness. I'll share a little bit about myself on that point that um, I uh, I bought your book a few months ago and uh, hadn't read it. And uh, a few weeks ago, I ended up in the hospital um, due to some severe depression. And I took that time to... Uh, go through your book. And I, I'm not a hundred percent certain whether that was a good thing or bad thing. Cause there was some heavy stuff in there and that got to me a little bit, but, um, your story also gave me a lot of strength in a time that I needed it because I saw how low you got and, and you came back and, uh, you know, you had your support system with, uh, with Joni and, uh, I, I told my wife, she hadn't read the book. I said, read this book, you are Joni, because she helped me through and kind of a, in a similar way, you know, kind of the backbone when you need it. Well, it's interesting that you, those, those statements that you made, I've had a lot of people from, uh, in my book, it is deep, it's raw. I didn't hold back. I, I you know, I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going all the way. And uh, so it is pretty raw. And I've had a lot of people say, hey, I had to, I had to put the book down uh, a couple times just because, uh, you know, it was, it was to me, but uh, I felt in a good way if it gets the people because then they they know they're not alone and it, it does stir up some emotion for a lot of people. But uh, you know, it's all back to well, what I went through. It's all what I lived there, and like you said, at the end of it, you know, I come out on top. I got the help I needed and live, live a good, happy uh, uh, life today, and you know, very, you know. Uh, uh, productive life because I'm helping people, and that's kind of what keeps me going. And uh, and, and like you, I've been hospitalized uh, more than once, and I've, I've been pretty dark, so I know you have too. And uh, you know, but it's true that there's so many people that uh, they read the book and and they they go, "Wow, uh, you know, I am not alone. This guy really went through it." And and just as you stated, it's hard for the times. Yeah. Uh, backtracking a little bit, uh, a few moments ago, you talked about how you, you know, not really any desire to get back into hockey, at least right now, because you're really enjoying what you're doing. And in the book, um, uh, one part that really stood out to me was when you were coaching either in, in the uh, SPHL or West Coast Hockey League, one or the other, I can't remember which. And, uh, West Coast. Okay. And then uh, you were waiting for a new contract and they were kind of uh, sitting on their hands with it. And then you just went and decided you're going to go back to school. <laughs> 
which I, I thought was hilarious that you're and you do it now. You, you live life on your terms. You do exactly what you want to do. seems to be when you want to do it. And that's admirable. Well, well, you know what? Thank you. But, but you know what is, is crazy about that whole thing of, you know, I suffered as a kid with anxiety and, and depression and, uh, my dad was kind of an abusive alcoholic. So maybe that had, uh, more to do with it than mental illness. You know, what was I? I just anxious because I, uh, really, uh, mentally ill. And it really doesn't matter. The fact was I was a terrible student and, uh, school caused me so much anxiety. Um, even the night before, Sunday night, especially. And, uh, you know, days or something to go to the school and, and we realized that, hey, you know, the kid, you can even conscience. And now that you're healthy mentally and, and doing well, you're, you're, you're actually not a half bad you know? <laughs> so that's kind of the, the comical side of the whole thing is that we don't realize that how, how mental illness can, can affect us, especially when we go to the hill that we're really anxious or I get nervous or I have social anxiety. I just say, you know, that's just me. Well, really is that really uh, where you should be in your life? Uh, sometimes, it's a, you know, we're avoiding the, the real issues and, and you know, don't want to get help. Or afraid, I shouldn't say don't want to get help, but are afraid to step out and get help. because, And that's all because of stigma. Yeah, I was scared for a long time, and uh, somebody that really helped me, not just you, but uh, Michael Landsberg, uh, who runs that Sick Not Weak movement, and he's a, you know, he's a media personality up here, um, you know, he's had a big influence on me. Well, I've got the opportunity to uh, uh, speak with Michael on two occasions, and uh, uh, one time it ended up being almost like a comedy show, because he's got a, he's a <laughs> very outgoing uh, person guy in it. I think that uh, he got that out of a lot of humor. And I thought it was one of the best talks uh, that I've been involved in because it's such a heavy uh, topic. You know, I'm, I'm a suicide survivor, and he's had severe depression, as has I. And, and uh, you know, these, these people are listening to these things, and sometimes it's emotional for them, too, because they're struggling in the audience. And uh, so it was, a, it was a fun night that I think... Uh, we got the message across, but we also had a lot of laughter. And, uh, yeah, he, he's been a big, big part of, uh, you know, I follow him on Twitter. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I've done a, 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 a another thing. On my radio, he had a radio, well, Facebook thing that on Friday night uh, I was a part of. He's a great guy. And uh, he really works hard at trying to uh, help people. Yeah, it's really powerful what uh, you know people like you and him can do when you're you're somebody that we look up to as uh, a person of strength, and you consider yourself weak when you have depression, and for you to stand up and say, you know, I have it too, you know, I've survived suicide and that type of thing. That's uh, it's really powerful. Well, what I love about Michael Lansbury is that, and I use it too now, but I always give him credit. Michael Lansbury coined the phrase "sick, not weak." And when I'm speaking, I, I try to uh, encourage people to, to, to understand that it's, 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 a, it's a sickness and not a weakness. And I use the example of the military being the most, probably the toughest people in the world. 
uh, first responders as well. I mean, they're going into situations that they're, I mean, you go to overseas, you know, that's, you got to be mentally tough to do that. But then back and they got PTSD, which, you know, is, is a form of depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and suicidal thoughts. And uh, I know here in the U.S. we have 22 suicides a day from uh, Afghanistan and, and Iraq uh, veterans. Wow. And these are the most mentally tough people in the world. So that's a, I use that example just to prove to people it doesn't matter how tough you are. The sickness, uh, they come back and they're sick with uh, PTSD, which is a mental illness, or, or injured mentally. And, and you know, puts, I try to put it in perspective that people, uh, it doesn't matter how tough you are. It's a, it's a sickness just like diabetes, you know. That's a fantastic way to put it. Uh, going going back to your book, uh, probably the best I've ever read. Honestly, like I just I, I couldn't put it down. And uh, wow. so, something that <laughs> what uh, struck me in particular was kind of a a personal uh, relation to it. I was surprised to hear how involved Rick Dudley was in in the whole in your whole story. Um, I know him uh, a little bit from I used to work for the minor league affiliate of the Canadians. And, uh, I, you know, I'd see Rick around at, at the rink and in the, in the press room and stuff like that, kind of a gruff and quiet guy. And when I read your book and I saw how involved Rick was in everything, I was, was like, wow, I, I wish I had to talk to, to, talk to him about it. You know, when I, when I was around him, um, is he, is he still involved with, with you? And, uh, what can, what can you say about his support through the years? Well, you know, first of all, yeah, we're still involved. Uh, we're, we're, you know, he's one of my dearest friends. So I bump into him once in a while on the road, uh, especially when I get out, uh, you know, to the Buffalo, Toronto area. Um, but uh, we're in contact on the phone and texting a lot. But you know, his involvement with me when I think I was at my worst and suicidal, um, you know, just going through a terrible dark time, uh my, I, I talked to him on the phone quite a bit to it, but uh, it was it was I think my wife that uh, ended up calling him and said, you know what, Clint's not good at all. At the time, Rick was assistant GM of the, of the Chicago Blackhawks, dropped everything, and that's you know that's a pretty weighty uh, job. Uh, in the middle of the season, uh, flew out to uh, to be with me and to help me get into to a doctor and you know support my wife and. Um, it was, uh, he, he's a fantastic guy. Uh, he's a guy too that, you know, when I was struggling in Buffalo and then later on in San Diego where he was the head coach, uh, really was always supportive. Never, never, he, it was like he understood for somebody that's, uh, uh, not mentally ill. Uh, Rick has a tremendous understanding and support for people like us. Yeah, I just remember reading that part where you're in your truck and you called him and he dropped everything and left. And uh, I just like, oh, wow, I know this guy. And that's, I wish, uh, I wish I had a opportunity to say how powerful that really was. So yeah, that's it's incredible. Um, you know, I've I've had I've I've had other people that uh, you know that you know Don Cherry reached out to me, Glenn Hall reached out to me. Uh, you know, Steve Ludwig reached out to me. If they knew that I was struggling, not everybody did. But the people that I knew, you know, and these are pretty big names that I just mentioned. Uh, um, you know, 
that they would people people do understand and I think one of the things is we 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 think that no one gets it or you know I'm afraid to come out uh, because I need to be judged and I just mentioned you know four or five names that uh, have mental illness but you know you know a guy like Don Cherry and Rick Dudley and, and Steve Ludwig and Glenn Hall and, and you know these are big names that but they they care and and I think everybody if they're honest with themselves. Uh, and has had depression of some sort, or maybe just emotional sickness, like a divorce, uh, losing a loved one, and going through grieving. You know, there's depression involved. So people, uh, I think, have a compassionate side, but we're afraid to show it a lot of times. Yeah, uh, I'm going to move on from hockey in a minute, but I have one last question for you just because I'm a, I'm a hockey nerd and I wanted to ask a hockey question. You played in Las Vegas. The Las Vegas yep. Golden Knights currently have, I think it's the best home record in the NHL. It was not as close. And some people blame yep. that on the Vegas flu. Is that real? Uh, well, <laughs> I think a little bit of it is. I don't know. You know what? At NHL level, uh, you know, these guys got money and they go on vacations and they go to big, uh, you know, casino resorts. And, and uh, I, at the NHL level, I can't, I can't see it. It's such a business now. These guys are, are very, very, uh, you know, and almost to a fault because they didn't, they don't have as much fun as, as we did playing. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when I played in Vegas, uh, yeah. Um, you know, through the minor leagues and these guys, we weren't making a lot of money back then. And so you go to Vegas and it's a big deal. So uh, there was certainly that aspect when I played there, but I don't think it's, uh, I, I think they've got a really good team. I know, uh, Gerard Gallant and he's an excellent coach. Um, I, I got the opportunity to coach with him when he was the head coach in Columbus and, you know, and, and George McPhee's a smart guy, so I think it's more just they put together a pretty darn good hockey team. It's incredible what they've done with, uh, you know, the with teams that their eighth or ninth best player that they decided not to protect, and they just put together a group of guys that ended up being one of the best in the NHL. Yeah, it's it's, it's phenomenal, and you know, if they if they even go past the first round in the uh, see that that's my fear though is that they may. That first round might be, uh, uh, you know, kind of like, okay, here we are, we've, we've done so much, and, you know, they might uh, sit back a little bit, bit on that because they had such a terrific season. If they get past that first round, look out. They they, <laughs> they could be in the finals. Yeah, I'm kind of wishing I'd put some money down the first of the year on them winning the cup just to see what would happen. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, I was curious to know, you wrote, the name of your book is The Crazy Game, How I Survived in the Crease and Beyond. And am I correct that that's the name in Canada and has a different name in the in the States as a, it's called A Matter of Inches? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that is correct. And, you know, when we decided to call it The Crazy Game, uh, you know, at first I, I was really reluctant to use the word crazy because of the stigma right. uh, involved. And... The publishers were saying, well, and the editor was like, do you know, do you know how many times you said in the book, uh, I thought I was crazy or I thought I was going crazy? And I went, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. 
Um, and the reason that it, in, the, in the U.S., it was just a different uh, publisher in the U.S., and they didn't like the, the title of the crazy game, so they changed it to A Matter of Inches. Okay. Um, how did writing a book come about? Were you approached, or was it something you would plan to do? Well, I I'd started writing a book before my uh, suicide attempt, and it was it was a book that you know many people have come to me and said, "Oh, you should write a book. You got so many funny stories, and you've done so many crazy things yourself." And I was like, "Ah, man, maybe I will." So uh, a, a guy and I started to dabble in it a little bit, and then things started to go south for me mentally and. Uh, Obviously, it's a suicide attempt, and that. But when I survived and wake up with a bullet in my head and thinking, "Wow, uh, what's my real, what's my real purpose?" I thought I need to, I need to write a book, but it doesn't. I need to finish this book, but it doesn't. It needs to have more of uh, not a funny story book, but a uh, a book on my life and my struggles. And uh, of course, there's. Uh, Quite a few stories I share in the book because I think they're worth the, the humor that, that happened in our in our day back then in the NHL. So you know, and it's kind of like when I speak now, I I, I do have a lot of humor in, in my in my talks because it's a heavy topic, and once in a while we got to be able to laugh, at, you know, at ourselves or, or at me or whatever. That's a strength for sure. I yeah, I really appreciate someone who's able to laugh themselves in hindsight. What's uh, what has telling your story done for you? Well, I'll tell you what. Writing the book was one of the hardest things I ever did because you know I've been through so much. I've done so much therapy. I've been in a treatment center for six months. So I come out and I think, okay, I got this. I, I'm going I'm to do this book. It's going to be on on my struggles with, with, with some uh, few ho- hockey, funny hockey stories, and Dan Robson who. Uh, was the 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 uh, other author with me? The book, I guess you call him a ghostwriter. Um, was really good because uh, you know I could tell my stories and my feelings to a, to a degree, but he really dug deep. He was like, "Okay, Clint, when that happened, what were you really thinking?" And so I have to kind of go into that. And you know, what made you even think of doing that? So I kind of so I went for deep just because he was good at. at getting that out of me, uh, although it did affect me negatively, uh, you know, with, with my uh, relapse, but, uh, you know, getting my feet right underneath me again, getting back into the treatment place for 30 days and just saying, okay, I got this again, uh, was the best thing I did. But, you know, as hard as the book uh, uh, was to write, I, I have no regrets uh, of writing it, even the painful uh, things that it caused with me in my life, but uh, you know, I didn't know it would affect so many people. Um, like I said, I put I put my email at the very end of the book on purpose, and, and I I thought, well, it, you know, get some feedback, see what people think, and I had never had a negative uh, email. It's always been a thank you uh, from either a wife saying, oh, thank you, my husband's going to get. Uh, help or you know somebody just saying hey i'm not alone i'm not alone i guess you you know hockey players can have this i'm going to get help uh they just felt like they're not alone so most of the emails they got back were you know just thanking me for being open and honest and maybe giving them the strength to get help yeah it's, it's incredibly important what you did um i wish that anybody that suffered 
would uh, would pick up your book. And and what's more, even more powerful than what you've done is that I said the same thing to Michael Landsberg that you you work in a kind of a and people know you from from sports and the sports demographic is mainly middle aged men, and uh, you know it's hard to it's hard to talk about. And then you step out and say, hey. I I had a, I have a bullet in my head, and I've come back from it, and that's going to be you're you're touching people that um, think that the stigma is very very real and that they they can't come out because they feel weak and uh, and uh, yeah it's just really it's really important what you've done. Well, even when I speak now, I uh, I kind of try to target that male audience because we're the ones that you know think we gotta uh, push through things and you know. Uh, again, that stigma, you know, I'm weak if I come out or if I'm weak if I see a counselor, uh, you know. Um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, athletes that are, and we're seeing more and more of it now where athletes are stepping out and saying, hey, I've struggled. Um, and it shows people it doesn't matter. Uh, it, 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 you know, it happens to the military, first responders, athletes. It, it's, uh, it, 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 it's it's not discriminatory. The disease is there, and, and uh, it, it always will be there. Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned, you're you're coming to Burlington on behalf of uh, the Canadian Mental Health Association Halton Region Branch, June 11th and 12th. Uh, what can people interested in attending expect from you? Uh, you know, I I, I usually uh, I, I do a uh, PowerPoint kind of slides slideshow of, of I talk a little bit about my childhood and my father uh, being you know brought up in, in that home uh, but then I go into what it was like to uh, hide and, and suffer in silence and still try and function as an NHL goalie uh, thinking that I was I, I couldn't get help because I'd be perceived as weak um, you know and then I go into uh, you know how uh, I go into my suicide attempt, my my self-medicating uh, leading up to the suicide attempt, and then I I, I, I finish the last part on how I live today, what I have to do, and uh, to to keep my balance, to keep healthy, um, and and speaking and and being a service and helping people is a big part of that. Yeah, great. Anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? No, I just think that it's great that uh, you're being, you're doing what you're doing, and 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 I know why you're doing it. You're doing, I can, you know, it, it, I'm sure if I ask you the question, uh, why do you do podcasts? Why are you doing? It? You'd say because I want to help people, but also it is helping you. Uh, I know that's how I feel. Yeah, the name of the podcast is My Therapy, so that's exactly what this is. It's helping me out while I'm doing it. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing, partner. Thank you. Um, I look forward to meeting you in person in June. I'm a volunteer with CMHA Halton, and I intend to be uh, involved in, in both of those events. Uh, thank well, you. For- we, know, we know Melanie McGregor, Jason Barr, and uh, oh, you know, uh, all those great people. That's one of my favorite. I, I work a lot with the CMHA, but the Halton uh, group is, is probably they're, they're very dear to my heart. I know. Uh, a couple of those people very well and there's lots of people that's great to hear thank you for telling your story you're helping so many by doing it and just keep doing it all right you too my friend thanks again we'll talk to you in june all right we'll see you in june man partner
that's a wrap on episode 17. I thank Clint Malarchuk so much for taking a half an hour out of his day to babble on with me. And uh, if you made it to this point in the podcast, thank you for uh, wading through the technical difficulties that we had a couple of times in the interview. Um, that's the nature of our uh, cell phone world we live in, I guess. Um, thank you for listening. And uh, just before we wrap, I want to say this podcast has been brought to you by Dickie's Meats because my dad pays for the hosting. And I'm still waiting for anybody else to knock on my door with a big fat advertising deal. It's not, I don't know where it is. I don't know what the deal is. I'm kind of, it's disheartening. Somebody, come on, let's go. For now, dad gets all the gravy. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.